0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. So, I'm um, going to get right into it. Uh, Pastor asked me a little while ago to deliver the message to you, as they're in Honduras this week, obviously. Um, and of course, we're wrapping up our series on worship. This is our last um, Our last message or series on worship, we've had three weeks where we just talked about worship, uh, our theme being uh, more than a song. Uh, So naturally, with them being out and, you know, it being about worship, the worship guy gets to to speak. So here I am uh, in your presence this morning, uh, delivering the Word of God. Um, i got to be honest, though. I've experienced, uh, I don't want to say a little bit of anxiety, I've experienced a lot of anxiety over this message. Um, And here's why, you know, everybody... They have their part. How many of you know everybody fits in the body of Christ differently? For me, I fit really well right there with the guitar, leading in worship. This part, not so much. So this is a little bit of a stretch for me, but a little bit of stretch uh, is, is a good thing. Just like we were singing, you know, I want God to take me into deeper waters with him farther than I've ever gone before. Um, so that's why I'm here up uh, before you today. Um, it's uh, definitely a little bit outside of my comfort bubble. Um, but that's good. It's good to be stretched. Amen. It's good to be stretched in the kingdom of God. Uh, Pastor Ryan preached a few weeks back. And by the way, I think he did a fantastic job. He always does. Uh, it's always nice to have um, a fresh perspective on the word. Um, and he asked you to lower his, his ex, your expectations for him a little bit. Well, this morning, I'm asking you to take it all the way down. Just go ahead and just get rid of all expectations. This is. Uh, we'll just see what happens with this this morning. Um, but besides that, Uh, This morning, I know I carry the enormous responsibility of delivering the Word of God to you and to to the people of God. So I I personally, I don't take that lightly. I've considered it a high honor to stand here before you today in Pastor's Pulpit and deliver the message. And this is my first time doing it here, so it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Um, So as I began to pray for this message, um, I really wanted to hear from God on it because I didn't want to miss the mark. And more than anything, uh, I just I feel like that I'm just a delivery boy this morning. I'm just the messenger. I don't have any secret words of knowledge or anything by my own self. I really honestly believe that when the word of God delivered is delivered, it's the word of God. The person delivering the word is just the messenger. So I'm just trying to be, um, trying to be f- to faithful to God and delivering the word correctly to you this morning. So I prayed about it. I was laying in bed one night uh, right before I went to, uh, was about to go to sleep, and I really felt like God told me. He said, tell them your story. And I thought, wow, that is a wonderful place to start. First message, you know, nine months into to, to, to ministry here at Bethel, what a great place to start is to share my story. And I would say that probably 99% of you today have not heard my story and have not heard of the, uh, I had a tragic event that happened about 11 years ago that completely changed my life. Um, it's funny. Whenever I moved here, uh, I learned, of course, that I had I had a tragic event, and then, of course, Ryan, you know, he had a tragic event. Um, I don't know how many years ago it was, um, but I was like, "Wow, this is this is a perfect place for broken people." Amen. And that's kind of how I felt. Like this is a great place. If you're broken, even today or in the past, if you if you've come with with broken things in your life, this is a great place for you because we're just all broken people together. Amen. So that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, and uh, kind of continuing with our topic, I want to talk to you this morning about choosing to worship through adversity. And uh, to do that, I want to take you back in time to uh, uh, Time Machine uh, 11 years ago, March of 2007. I was a freshman in college. Um, and Kentucky Wesleyan College is a small, um, small liberal arts college. Uh, in the city of Orangeboro, Kentucky. That's where I'm from. Lived there for 10 years, like out of college and whatnot. Um, it's a nice nice campus. Uh, I was a freshman there. I was actually studying to be a music teacher. I was uh, My major was music education, so that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. Uh, music education, music teacher, um, um, probably piano, maybe voice. Um, but at any rate, music, music education was kind of my thing. That was my freshman year. Um, but little did I know that uh, God actually had other plans for my life, uh, bigger plans for my life than I had for myself. And it's kind of kind of funny how God works that way, right? Like we have things, um, we have plans, but God has bigger plans, you know. And there's a scripture in in Proverbs that that says, "In a in a man's you know a man's heart um, you know he has his way before him, but the Lord determines his steps." And that is so true. So spring break that year, uh, my friends and I took a trip to Florida. Uh, there were fourteen of us that went down um, March of two thousand and seven. Uh, we rented a condo just outside of Orlando um, and uh, it was a nice place. I think there were like fourteen bedrooms or something, so it was a huge place, two stories, beautiful place. Uh, we rented it, split the money for it, and just went down for a week um, just to get a, have a good time. We were all Christian friends just hanging out. Um, it was yeah, it was supposed to be a good trip. Well, in one of these rooms, there was this massive uh, Simba doll. And there's a picture up of it. And this, by the way, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. My wife can attest. There was this large uh, Simba doll. And that is actually me behind it, wrapping my arms around it. So this thing was probably 90 pounds, okay? This thing was not to be meddled with. It was huge, massive, very heavy. Uh, Ryan caught it, probably could have picked it up with one pinky. But for everybody else, it was pretty massive, pretty big, um, probably about 90 pounds or so, I would say. Well, a couple of my friends thought it would be cute to drag this into the hallway and throw it over a lar- the large balcony going into the living room. And that would have been all fine and great, only I was actually in the living room on the couch when this happened. And no joke, this thing came went, and it hit me in the back of the head. And I was actually, it it broke my bones in the in my neck. And it paralyzed me instantly. Uh, It compressed the C6 and C7 vertebrae uh, in my neck and compressed my spinal cord, and I was paralyzed instantly. So I very distinctly remember at at this point in time, like just this tingle, this rush of tingles all down my body from neck down, and then I didn't feel anything from neck down. It was pretty serious. Freak accident. I'm not making this up. This actually happened to me. I was there. I witnessed it firsthand. My wife can tell you this is a true story. So there I am, laying on the couch. It landed on me. Um, They, of course, they called the the ambulance, um, rushed me uh, to the ER. Um, They had to do emergency surgery overnight to try to fix the broken bones. So my parents, in the middle of the night, are driving from Kentucky to Florida. Um, Their baby boy is in in the hospital, lying paralyzed from the neck down. And can you imagine the horror that they must have went through that? Um, I'm sorry. This is really, really, really real to me, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even make it when I was practicing it earlier without choking up. So, bear with me. This is this is real life. Okay, this is a true story. So they were they rushed down. Um, uh, they did a st- they did surgery that night to try to fix that what was broken. So um, there's a picture of me lying in the hospital. I think that was a couple days later. Uh, of course, really swollen from the surgery and from the shock of everything. So yes, this did happen. This is a true story. I have pictures to prove this really did happen. So I want to stop the story right there and you're like, "Oh man, but I'm sure there's something more." We'll get to that. Um but I want to I want to I want to kind of dive into our message this morning. And I want to talk about the story of Job, and I think many of us can relate to the story of Job found in the Bible. Um, you know, things like myself included. Um, there are things, you know, sometimes things in life are going really well. You know, I just started college, things are great. And then, bam, something just completely smacks you in the face. And, and life just is just kind of broken there before you. And you're, you're, you got broken pieces in your hand. And you're like, now what? Like, what's going, what, what am I going to do? What's, what's going to happen next? Because here's my life broken before me. Uh, and I think we can all relate to how life sometimes appears to be this roller coaster. Anybody can agree to that? Where, you know, things are great. You know, we're up on the mountain. We've made the climb. Things are great. And then the the pendulum of life kind of swings the opposite direction. And now all of a sudden things are not so great. Uh, I mean, that's, that's just life, right? You know, bad, sometimes bad things happen. And there's no apology given. There's no reason given. It just happens because that's life. But... I want to talk about our response to that, because in the midst of the low points in our lives, what should the response be? What should our response be whenever things are broken before us? So I want to look at the story of Job, because I think his response is the perfect response. And so I'm going to read uh, from Job uh, chapter 1 this morning, and um, um, I'm going to actually read the entire chapter to you. I'm sorry in advance. I'm going to try to read fast the words of a great uh, theologian, Buckle Up Buttercup. It's going to be a hopefully a fast ride this morning uh, reading through this, um, this entire chapter. So Job chapter 1, it says, In the land of Uz, how many of you would like to be from the land of Uz this morning? Not, not so much. There lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. So this guy was very, very wealthy. He was loaded, like in the millions. This dude was a millionaire. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God on their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he, he will surely curse you to, to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has in your power Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and this is where it starts to get really bad for Job. One day Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with him. They put your servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While that guy was still speaking, another messenger said, Uh, Came and said, "The fire of God fell from from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you." When that guy was still speaking, another messenger came and said, "The Chaldeans, or Chaldeans, whichever one you want, however you want to pronounce that, formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them." They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, and suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So this is where where I want to focus on this morning. It says, At this Job got up, and he tore his robe and shaved his head that he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it says, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So literally, in the wake of losing everything, like he lost everything. And we actually see in chapter 2, where God allows Satan to actually torment Job more, and he breaks out and boils from the top of his head head, to the bottom of his feet. So if you can get a picture of Job with me this morning, Job was literally sitting in ashes with a piece of broken pottery scraping the sores from his body. Everything he had in a moment, just like that, gone. So in the wake of literally losing everything, what did Job do? Does the Bible say that, that that he grumbled and complained? Did he blame God that he became become bitter at first? No. The Bible says that Job tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he worshiped. See, you see, this morning, worship was Job's first response. It was his first response. He worshiped. So why did Job choose worship first over grumbling, complaining, or becoming bitter? And I think it's because Job recognized some things about worship that I think we really need to grab a hold of this morning. And here comes my first point, which is probably my most important. So please make sure you're taking notes. Um, because this is this is my this is number one point right here for you this morning. It's that our worship of God should not be conditional. Rather, it should be responsive. And what I mean by that is that our worship it should not be conditioned conditional upon where we are in life. It doesn't matter if we're up on a mountain or down in the valley. Our, our worship, we should worship out of a response of who God is. We worship God because of what he's done for us, yes. But more than that, we worship God because of who he is. And here's some passages on that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Uh, First Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. So, you see, we worship the same God that these passages talk about, who, it says, by his very word, he created all that we can see, all that we can't see. And just think, God was created uh, was big enough to form a universe so vast, and this is kind of where I nerd out, so forgive me on this, but I love I love stuff like this. So right now, the furthest galaxy that we can currently see out in the universe is thir- over 13 billion light years away. Um, that, that's pretty far, and that's, that's from the Hubble Space Telescope out in space orbiting the Earth. That's the farthest we can see with that technology right now. Th- over 13.2 billion light years away, and that's probably not—that's definitely not as far as the universe goes. Like, it's probably infinite. We can't even see that far. So you're wondering, well, what is a light year? Is that like from Toy Story, where it's like Buzz Lightyear? No, no, no. So let me let me kind of break down what a light year is. A light year means that it takes light a year to travel from point A to point B. From point A to point B, a year light that is a light year. So actually, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That means that light can circle the globe seven times in one second. So if you want to go out to the farthest galaxy that we can see, 13.2 billion light years away, just try to travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Try not to get a ticket with that. And travel for over 13.2 billion years. If you can last that long, that's a long time to live. And you'll get to the farthest point that we can currently see. And the universe is infinitely farther than that. And the Bible says that we we serve a God who he spoke it into existence. And it happened. That's the kind of God that we serve this morning. He is a big God. And we don't realize that sometimes, do we? But he is a big God. And here in Psalms 13, Uh, not 13, Psalms 33 6, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. By the by his word, the heavens were made, the starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I think sometimes we do forget how big God is, don't we? We come in here, we sing songs like, how great is our God, or, or whatever, talking about the greatness of God, and it really just doesn't sink in. That, wow, we really do serve a big God. He is the God above all gods. He sits enthroned above the circles of the earth this morning, and he is a big, big God. And it is an honor and a privilege to worship and serve a big, big God. You see, the greatness of God demands our worship. And I'll I'll say that again. The greatness of God demands our worship. And you know, um, and I want to say this, and I think we've said it um, a bunch these last couple weeks, but um, our worship should not just be limited to a Sunday morning. Would you guys agree with me? Actually, everything that we do in life should be worship. And even uh, in Colossians, it talks about everything you do, do it unto the Lord. Um, Everything we do in life should be out of a response to who God is and what he's done so that means everything. That means how you handle your finances should be done as a response to who God is. How you manage your household, how you love your kids, how you love your wife, how you, how you serve God faithfully in church, how you conduct business, how you work, the, the time management that you put in. Everything that you do, every step that you take, every moment should be responsive to who God is. And that, in my opinion, is what worship is. Worship is a response. Now, let me get back to Job, because I don't want to miss this. Um, Job did not ignore the reality of his struggle. Rather, he confessed his struggle, but he acknowledged that the greatness of God superseded his current situation. Um, As a matter of fact, you know, Job later petitions God and he pleads his case before the Lord. Like he never pretended that everything was okay because everything was not okay in Job's life. And I want to say this this morning, that it's okay to not be okay, okay? It is okay to not be okay. I feel like in, sometimes in church, we have to feel like we put this this veil on our face and hide what's really going on in life when we should be able to do the opposite. We should be able to take the veil off and trust that we have brothers and sisters that love us, that, that want to come around us and support us and lift us up in our, in our time of greatest need. And that's, 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 that's what real church looks like, amen? And I really feel like that we have that here. So it's okay to not be okay. If you're hurting, if you're struggling this morning, go talk to somebody. Go talk to somebody. And I, I guarantee you'll find a friend, you'll find somebody who can lift you up and ca- help carry you through that difficult time. Um, But however, despite that, despite our honesty, we need to be able to understand the truth that God is God. And because God is God, our daily worship to him should be unhindered by our current situation. Point two, and hopefully these are quicker. Worshiping God through adversity shows our submission to God's sovereign will in our lives. Worshiping God through adversity shows our submission to God's sovereign will in our lives. So I actually found out there's several, um, in the Hebrew language, several words for worship used throughout the Old Testament. And I'm going to read them real quickly to you this morning because I think it's good to have a um, perspective. Um, So the first is halal, and that's where we get hallelujah. And it means to boast foolishly or to make a show of it. That's where we get hallelujah, which is another word coming next or later on. And this next word, I have to say it very carefully. This is a Hebrew word, so I have to say it very carefully. Tehillah with an H. Tehillah, and it means to praise vocally in song or shouts. I have to say that one very carefully. Zamar, to praise with instruments, alone or with voices. Hallelujah, related to halal, means a shouting call for corporate praise. Yadah, to lift or throw, throw arms upward in praise and surrender. Yadah's cousin, tada, which means to sing praises together as one community in harmony. And then lastly, um, Sabah, which is to reach out with affection for God to feel his hold on us. And I think that Sabah is like where we get those deep moments of worship. It's like worship, like I think we kind of had experienced that a little bit with what a beautiful name this morning, where the presence of God just came and moved and like just wrapped his arms around us. And I felt it. I was like, oh, wow. Hey, Jesus, you're here. You know, it's kind of an amazing time of worship. Uh, so that's what I think Sabah is. And then lastly, um, you know, in Job. The Hebrew word is a different word. It's another word for worship, and it's shikah, and it means to bow down. It means to prostrate oneself before the Lord. It is an act of worship that shows complete and total submission and surrender. So here we have all kinds of expressions of worship, um, but here we see Job's expression of worship. It wasn't one of joyful celebration, but it was actually one of painful submission. It says that he tore his clothes and he shaved his head. and, the, and, and those, In that culture, that was a sign of mourning. That's what you did when you were in mourning. Uh, you shaved your head. You tore your clothes. A lot of times you put on sackcloth, which from my understanding is like a big potato sack. I don't know. And um, you, know, you sat in ashes. And that was, that, was, that was you in mourning at that point in that culture. So I can imagine that he wept bitterly before the Lord but what did it say it says that that was still counted as worship like his expression of worship even though it was sad and mournful and he was crying his eyes out and he was bawling and he, he was prostrate before the Lord God still saw that as worship okay he still saw that as worship and what I want to say about that is that sometimes our expression of worship might look a little different if we're in those 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 times of mourning and that's okay. You know, it's it's okay to have a different expression of worship that looks different than raising your hands or singing a song. Um, and I want to say more on that about the fact that it's not the expression of worship that matters. And I think we've hit on this the last couple of weeks because the how many of you know that the expression can be kind of shallow at times. Like you can raise your hands all day, but if it, if raising your hands is not connected uh, by a string to a heart condition, then in my opinion, it's just an expression. It's not an expression of worship. God looks at the heart, and we see that time and time again through Scripture, like with the anointing of David by Samuel. We see that, 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 God, that, that man looks at outwards opinions, but it's actually God that looks at the heart. So it's all about the heart. And as Job is bowing down before God, I believe that he's saying, with all that's within him, from the heart, I believe he's saying, God, I may not understand why everything in my life is in ruins, but regardless, I surrender to you and your sovereign will for my life. So when we worship God through adversity, we're actually choosing to take our eyes off the current situation. We're fixing our eyes on God and we're surrendering ourselves to the reality that God is in control and not us. Point three. Worshiping God through adversity serves our trust in God to bring good things out of bad situations. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And for me, you know, I love the NIV, but I also love the Passion Translation. Anybody heard of the Passion Translation? It's a good translation. You should, should look it up. It's good. Um, it says in the Passion Translation, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. So we see that God is taking our lives and he's weaving it together. And, you know, sometimes the things that he weaves in may to us look bad, but when you step back and you see the bigger picture of what he's weaving and what he's making, it's a good thing, guys. It's a good thing. It's just like cake. Does anybody like cake? I love cake, chocolate cake, it doesn't matter. I have a sweet tooth. I've been trying to count calories. It's not good when you like cake because cake is amazing. Uh, anything with, <laughs> that's right, I got, got an amen from Ryan on that one. Yes, cake is awesome. But if you look at the ingredients of cake, what you get, start with like flour. Flour by itself is probably not very good. If you try to throw a whole thing of flour in your mouth, it's not going to taste very good. Raw eggs, anybody ever eat raw eggs? No, that's disgusting. Please don't eat a raw egg. That's not good. But you get all these ingredients together, you put them in, you mix them, and you start to mix and mix and mix into a batter, and then you throw that thing in the oven, and there's heat, and there's pressure. And what comes out is this beautiful chocolate cake that is so good, and that's how it kind of works with us in our life through the bad times, is that God is weaving these things together. He's putting that into that cake, and we may think, well, that's not a good ingredient, that's not a good ingredient, that's not a good ingredient, but when he starts to mix it together, and it makes a batter. And then there's heat and there's pressure. Something good comes out of that. So, I think Job had to make a decision in that moment to trust God. Trust that God is good and ultimately God causes amazingly good things to come out of the darkest times of our lives. Okay, I'm going to get through this. I cried both times uh, when I was preparing this message, so I'm going to not cry at this point. But I remember laying in because I've already done that almost uh, for this. So I'm allowed one one point of almost breaking down. And that's it. So I remember laying in the hospital bed after my surgery. And it was about 3 a.m. in the morning. And for some reason I was awake at 3 a.m. There was nobody in the room, just me and God. And I remember having this moment with God where I prayed, God, I don't understand why. I don't understand why I'm lying in bed in the hospital paralyzed. But I trust you. And I trust that ultimately you are good, and good things will come out of this. And I just felt the comfort of his presence just come into that room and surround me and tell me that it was going to be okay. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding, they say, and that's that's very accurate. It was the peace of God that passed all understanding. And I knew in that moment that it was going to be okay. And you know what it was. And this is my favorite part of the story, point four, and Rylan, you can come up. This is my favorite part of the story. God is faithful to make the sun rise again, and what I mean by that is that in our lives we have these seasons where, yeah, the sun the sun is out, uh, sun is out, tank is clean. Finding Nemo, anyone? No, okay, fine. Yeah, I told myself I wasn't going to make that joke, and I totally did. So I'm a total nerd. I'm so sorry, but yeah, the sun was shining, tank was clean, everything good but then the sun starts to go down and it starts to get dark out and the sun is hidden from us and we can't see it and it's night out and it's pitch black and we don't understand. We just got to have a little bit of faith in those times to believe that even though it's dark now and as some people say, it's, it's always darkest before it's dawn. So it's really, really dark. We just got to believe that God is going to be faithful to make the sun rise again in our lives. We can't see the sun, but we know it's there. And we just believe that God is faithful to make that thing come back around or us actually spin around to it. Um, So the sun is definitely going to rise again in your life. And that may not, it may seem very dark in your life right now. But trust me when I say that the sun is going to rise again on your situation. God is faithful. If if there's anything that I know more than anything in my life is that God is faithful. And he's true to his word this morning. So let's look at the story of Job. Uh, job 42. So there's like a 40-some chapters where um, you can read it if you want, uh, where his friends come, and um, they're like, Oh, Job, you sinned, so that's why you're in this predicament. Um, his wife um, is there, unfortunately, not doing a very good job of being a wife. Um, and you notice, uh, and i got to say this because me and Ryan were talking about this, you notice that Satan did not take Job's wife. You guys notice that? Satan's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Okay. Because <laughs> Job's wife was not a very good wife. I have an amazing wife. But Job did not have a very good wife. Job's wife was like, curse God and go ahead and die already. Like that's the hor the worst the, like the worst advice ever. So Satan definitely knew what, what what he was doing whenever he chose not to take Job's wife. But anyways, I want to <laughs> get past that. Let me let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. So Job petitions God. God actually answers Job and was pretty much like, I'm God, you're not. I'm the potter, you're the clay, just let me be God. And we see Job 42, chapter uh, chapter 42, verse 12, it says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and over 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The name's their daughter. Uh, and it says... Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father Job granted them an inheritance, an inheritance along with their brothers, which is very uncommon in that day. And then it says, After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. And as for me, Personally, I'm humbled at this point in my life to be considered a walking miracle. How many of you knew? Nobody, nobody probably knew. I don't really talk about it very much because that was 11 years ago, but it's still true today. But I'm a walking miracle, guys. I wasn't supposed to walk again. I wasn't supposed to walk again. I wasn't supposed to be able to play an instrument again. You know what? um, Got a fly buzzing around. I'm sorry. Like eight. (laughs) Like, okay, okay back on. Sorry. Keep your focus, Andy. Keep your focus. Um, I wasn't supposed to be able to play an instrument again. You know what, what affected, what, what was affected the most um, by my accident were my hands. I mean, I had to learn how to walk again. Yeah. But what was affected the deepest was were my hands. And for the longest time, I couldn't play an instrument. And they, they made this cast for me to try to help strengthen, straighten my fingers out because they went limp when I tried to play. And they made this cast for me, tried to to get me so I could play a little bit. Um, It wasn't very pretty, but at least it was something to get me by. But God was faithful. God was faithful. And here I am walking before you. I get to play my guitar and piano each week. Such an honor and a joy and a privilege to do that. Because at one point in my life, I wasn't able to do that. And God just completely healed me. I know I had a lot of people praying for me. God healed me. And he put me back together again. Um, my wife, my beautiful wife, who's here before you today. Isn't she beautiful? She was actually one of the 14 on that trip to Florida. We weren't uh, dating or anything yet. But I was freshly single. And you better believe, before the accident, I, I flirted with her a lot. Because um, she was beautiful and I was freshly single. And I was like, why not? You know. Um. But her and I started dating shortly after the accident. Uh, we would talk on the phone. They, I was in inpatient rehab for a while. We'd talk on the phone for hours. I remember she would come up two hours um, from Orangeboro to Louisville. She'd bring me these little heart-shaped brownies. Those, are, those things were amazing. But she, she actually made them into heart shapes just for me. And it was such a beautiful thing. And I remember thinking, what in the world is a beautiful girl like that doing with a broken, crippled, messed up nerd like myself? And I figured it out. Somebody was paying her off. So it was. They felt bad for me. So they were totally, and I have not seen a dollar from that, of that money. But I know that it's probably still coming in. But almost nine years of marriage later, we're going to be celebrating nine years in July. We have two beautiful, amazing daughters who just, they'll melt your heart. And you guys have seen them running around like, like crazy kids because they are. But they're so beautiful and they touch my heart. So nine years, two beautiful daughters, here we are. And more than that, God completely changed the course of my life through this accident. So instead of becoming a music teacher, I really felt strongly the call of God to enter the ministry as He was beginning to put me back together. And I just knew that He was calling me to do something else, something more with my life than what I had anticipated for myself. So answered that call. And... It's led me and my family to this church to serve some amazing people alongside some super, super amazing people. And it's been an amazing nine months. And here I am before you, knowing without a doubt that God is good, that He causes good things to come out of bad situations, that He's going to be faithful, and He is faithful to cause the sun to rise again. So all that being said, I'm going to wrap up here. Life is full of ups and downs. So choose in every part to live a life of worship in every season, especially the difficult ones, especially the difficult ones. So I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where you are today. I know where I am. And I know that things are good for us right now, and we may, you know, who knows, down the road we may fall into bad times again, but I just know that, that God is worthy of our worship, regardless of where we are. So you may be in a difficult time. You may not be. But I, I encourage you at this point. to, to, to We're going to open up the altars. We're going to have the band come up after I pray. And just take this time to, without hindrance, without reservation, truly and honestly give God worship because He deserves it. Amen.